And it finally dawned on me this year to ask myself the question, what can I as a man um, bring to you? You know, isn't it a little bit um, awkward that that I'm not a woman speaking to a group of women? And so, uh, obviously, I'm going to be reading from the Bible, and God will be doing his teaching through the Bible. It doesn't matter if it's a man or woman teaching. But I thought by way of displaying for you an example, I would bring stories of my mom the most beautiful and compelling and inspiring woman that I know. And I want you to get to know her a little bit through the stories that I'll tell you in just a few minutes. I'm going to be reading from a chapter in the Bible, Romans chapter 12, and to illustrate some of the truths in that chapter, I'll be telling stories of my mom. And I called her yesterday, you know, she knew I was going to be doing this, and I called her just to ask for her prayer, and and I told her the, the three stories that I'm going to share with you, and and said, is that all right, Mom, with you, that I share those stories? And then I thought the phone had cut out, because I have Verizon, and that happens a lot. And (laughs) I said, Mom, is that all right? And and, um, she said, oh, no, I'm here. And she was crying. She said, I'm just so humbled. And then when she gathered her her voice again, she said, Nathan, make sure you tell them. Make sure you tell them that for any of those stories to be true about me, there had to be God working in my heart. Do not put me on a pedestal to those women. Make sure they know that God gets all the credit for the stories. So you need to know that because she wanted you to know that. So I'm delivering that news to you from her. She is uh, in Holland, Michigan, as, as um, I was introduced. She's a guy from Michigan. My mom still lives in Michigan. But I'm going to read Romans chapter 12 before getting into the stories about her. Before I read from the chapter, I want to just do a quick mental exercise. Before we get into God's Word, I want you just to spend a moment picturing something. Just imagine it in your mind's eye. Picture yourself walking into a room. You can decorate it however you want. It doesn't matter what the room looks like. Except for one thing. There's a painting or a picture hanging on the wall. And you immediately notice it when you walk into the room. And it's the most beautiful, captivating enchanting picture you've ever seen in your life. And as you notice its beauty, you suddenly notice as well that it's hanging upside down. But just as you notice that it's hanging upside down, there's an even deeper truth that you're aware of. You realize, I don't think it's the picture that's hanging upside down. I think it's the whole world around that picture. There's something true and wonderful and beautiful about what I'm seeing hanging on the wall. It appears upside down, but it's so beautiful and enchanting that maybe it's the whole world around it that's upside down. The reason I wanted you to picture that is because I'm going to read for you Romans chapter 12. And whenever I read Romans chapter 12, it, it feels that way to me. It feels like I'm reading something that's different in an almost inverse way from the way the world works around me. It's like something hanging upside down. It's a description of how people are to treat one another. But it's so different than the way people actually treat one another that it's like a picture hanging upside down. But there's also something so beautiful about it, as you'll hear when I read it, that you begin to wonder, maybe this really is right side up, even though it appears upside down when I first hear it. Maybe this is right side up, and the whole world around me is upside down. 
So listen with me. I'm going to read it twice. I find great value in that. I'm going to read it once just to get our ears used to it. And then I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to read it again. This is Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to the end. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the people. And seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word. We thank you for gathering us here in this place today. I trust that each one of us has a good reason, your good reason for being here, for hearing your word, for meditating on it. Lord, I pray that just as your Holy Spirit inspired the words in Scripture, I pray that that same Holy Spirit would be here in this loft, inspiring our hearts. I pray that you would melt our hearts of stone, that you would dissolve away our cynicism, our skepticism, even our distractions, so that we could hear your word of truth that you have for each one. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So listen to it again. By way of application, I'm going to change the he's and the him's to she's and her's, just to um, expand it into the, the, the females in our lives too. So just hear the word of God. This is Romans 12, 9 to the end. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another with sisterly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the people and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, 
Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed her. If she is thirsty, give her something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on her head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I'm going to just bring out three of the verses from that chapter. We could spend all day looking at each phrase, but I'm just going to bring out three of them, tell a story of my mother, and then give some application for you all. And just remember that image of that picture hanging upside down. Some of this just seems inverse to the way people actually operate. But consider and look upon the beauty of these truths as you hear them. The first one is from verse 16 where it says, Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. When I was young, my mom worked at an adoption agency. Some of you know this story. I've told it a few times before. My mom worked at an adoption agency. And when I was about nine years old, she was there working at the adoption agency. And a 14-year-old girl came in through the front doors of the adoption agency met my mom and said, I just drove by the abortion clinic, but I came here because I thought you could help me. I've been kicked out of my home. I have no place to go, but I don't want to have an abortion. Can you help me find somebody to adopt my baby? But I have nowhere to go between now and and when the baby is due. And my mom sat there, and she said, you can come live with us. And I'm the youngest of four kids, and I remember that evening, my mom driving home from work, pulling up into the driveway, and looking at me looking out the dining room window, and my mom coming home from work, and there's this young, scared, scandalized, pregnant, 14-year-old girl in the passenger seat. And my mom came in and introduced her to us, and she became part of our lives. And my, I have two sisters, and I remember in their bedroom, they both had single beds, and My dad and my brother slid the beds against the wall and slid a new single bed into the middle of the room and and she shared a room with my sisters. We didn't have much money. My dad worked for the ministry and my mom worked for the adoption agency, so it's not like we had extra rooms. But I find it um, very interesting to think back on that time. And by the way, that young lady was the first of four after she had her baby and they found a home for the the baby. Uh, Just a few months later, another case came, and and my mom brought home another girl. And it happened four times throughout my growing up years. So there was always, or or usually, this sort of scandalous person in our midst. Imagine showing up to a function where there's other families, and all these well-dressed kids looking their best, and talking, having parents talk about how successful they are in the athletic field or in the classroom. Imagine my family showing up with us four kids, but also, you know, this sort of, you know, actually embarrassing situation. There's this young lady who didn't have any other place to go, but here she is with us. Associate with the lowly. My mom lived that out, and and by invitation, she had us all live that out as well. And whenever I tell this story of of these young ladies living with us, I, I often include this one little anecdote of a moment in time where it all became just really crystallized for me. I was in the sixth grade by this point, and we had a young lady living with us named Mary Sue. And um, uh, she and my dad and I and my sister were all heading from the dining room into the garage 
to go somewhere. I don't remember where we were going, and we were all heading towards the car, and I was a sixth grader, so I'm self-absorbed entirely, self-seeking, you know, self-advancing, completely, you know, Darwinistic in my thinking, and, I, and we're running out into the garage, and I literally start elbowing my, my siblings and, and Mary Sue out of the way, and I yell, shotgun, you know? <laughs> And my dad, um, the, the Mary Sue had just moved in with us, and my dad very firmly grabbed my shoulder, and he said, no, Mary Sue is with child. That's the safest seat in the car. She's going to sit with child. And I was, you know, wasn't going to sit. And so it, all of a sudden it wasn't about me. And so I sat in the back and I thought about it. But most importantly in that moment, I watched Mary Sue, and I watched her for probably the first time in her life get treated by a man with dignity and with respect and with honor, and there she sat in the front seat, you know, and so for my sixth grade, you know, prepubescent, self-absorbed mind, I was learning so much because my mom had led the way in having us as a family associate with the lowly, do not be haughty but associate with the lowly. Now you're probably sitting there thinking, or maybe you're sitting there thinking, I don't know. You know, that's kind of quaint or, or, or interesting or compelling for Holland, Michigan, for small town Michigan. But here in Greenwich, this just wouldn't fly. This just wouldn't work. I don't know, maybe you're thinking that. That's a possibility. And, and maybe that's true. But, um, you know, Holland, Michigan isn't so different than, than Greenwich. And my mom had to make similar decisions as you all and, and similar priorities, yet she made these decisions four times to bring home a lowly person for us to as- associate with, to do life with. And I was thinking also about this, associate with the lowly. My mom is such a good example of, of living a life that does that. I was, I was going back to middle school as I was remembering these stories, and I was remembering middle school as a time when, let's say there's a hundred kids in your class, and... Um, Middle schoolers have an amazing way of plotting all 100 kids on some kind of unspoken, invisible ladder. There's like 100. She's the most popular, cool girl. And then there's, there's one, you know, at the bottom. It's the kid with, who's outcast. It's the kid with the learning disability or eats alone or whatever. And middle schoolers have an amazing way of knowing who is where on that chart. And they spend their lives, they spend their social energy trying to move up a little bit. You know, if you're a 22... You try to hang out with the 39s, you know, you're always trying to move up a little bit. You guys, I can tell by the looks on your faces, you know that this was true in middle school. There's no way it's true in adulthood, right? No. But in middle school, it was true. Even so, this is what I'm talking about, this, this passage is upside down, isn't it? The Bible says, actually, associate with the lowly. Find where you are on, on that chart and go hang out with those lower It goes against our instincts, doesn't it? It goes against what would be self-advancing, what would be in our best interest. We're constantly trying to advance ourselves on that social ladder. But the Bible says, associate with the lowly. I've given you the example of my mom in one way to do that. And how it changed me. And how it shaped me. And how it made me who I am. It took me outside of myself. And every day I would wake up with this person in our house and it's a constant visual reminder that life is not just all about me. It's about helping those in need. My mom did that for me. I'm going to look at another one, verse 11. 
where it says it's kind of archaic language, it's kind of hard to understand, where it says, do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Do not be slothful in zeal, you've heard of zealousness, someone who's just totally passionate about something. Don't be slothful in zeal, in other words, be zealous, be fervent in spirit, and serve the Lord. In another place in the Bible it says it this way, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. My mom doesn't work for the adoption agency anymore. She works for a small liberal arts college in Michigan. Same one that I attended. And it's about 3,500 students, I think. And she's the assistant to the dean of students, which keeps her busy. But on top of all of her responsibilities as the assistant to the dean of students, she's added a whole extra component onto her job voluntarily. And she's now also the director of volunteer services. She's retiring this year, but um, she's the director of volunteer services. And what that means is she goes around town and she finds places who need help who need manual labor, who need tutoring for underprivileged children or whatever, and she aligns the college students with those needs. And each fall, on the first Saturday of the school year, she rallies this huge endeavor called A Time to Serve. And she invites the entire freshman class to spend their first Saturday on campus volunteering in the community. And when I called her yesterday, I got the figures. Um, There's about 800 kids in the freshman class, 420 of them signed up for this thing that my mom organized. And um, she's done this for several years. And they went to various places around town, little old ladies who needed a, a fence mended, or, or churches, or synagogues, or schools, or, or places that needed just some people to show up and help. So can you imagine? Think back to your first Saturday in college. I don't think I spent mine volunteering for people in need. But yet my mom rallied over half of the freshman class this year to go spend, and the reason that she does it isn't so much because those organizations and people need help, although that's part of it. What she's trying to do is set a tone for the school year, for these kids. They spend their first Saturday on campus not partying, not getting into other kinds of trouble, but serving. Be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Also, my mom, every winter, organizes something at the college called Dance Marathon, where Students, they literally dance for 24 hours straight. It's this fundraising thing, and they, and they get sponsors, and they raise money for uh, the medical bills of children with leukemia. So I asked my mom yesterday, I said, Mom, how much money have you raised with the dance marathon for those children? And she said, $1.2 million. And then I asked, because I knew a ballpark of what this was going to be, I said, Mom, what was the average gift size? It's the average gift size to make up $1.2 million. Less than $50. Less than, that means she's getting $5 donations and $10 donations and the occasional $1,000. But in other words, this is not one person who wrote a $1.2 million check. This is thousands of people. You realize how many lines on a spreadsheet it takes to make $1.2 million with $50 gifts? There's my mom entering them, receiving donations, organizing the dance marathon. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. She could have shown up every day, done a good job of being the assistant to the dean of students, done her job, but she's added 
this whole extra component, unpaid, to get college students to serve in the community, to change their lives like she's changed my life. It takes a lot of energy, zeal, fervent in spirit to serve the Lord in that way. She loves the Lord with all her heart, with all her mind, with all her strength. Verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I was thinking back, there was a a moment a couple of weeks ago when had one of those parenting moment fails, and I, I raised my voice at my children, and I saw the look on my son's face, and, um, you know, he, he just looked at me and, and just cried, and, and I was mortified, you know, and I apologized to him and everything, and I was thinking about that for a while, and I was trying to remember a time when my mom raised her voice with me. And I can honestly tell you, I, I couldn't place a single memory, ever, of my mom raising her voice with me. Um, so I, I said that to her yesterday, and I said, Mom, did you ever yell at us? And she said, I, I think so, bud, but um, I can't remember either. It, now listen, I knew when my mom was, was upset. Okay? I knew when she was firm, I knew when she was disciplining me, but she did it in such a way that she didn't yell. Okay? Um, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I was thinking about that. My mom has a way of bringing peace to any situation. And I was thinking about people in general, and I think that people in general can, can really be fit into one of two categories. People either escalate the situation or they bring peace. They de-escalate the situation. I think there's very few neutral people on this, because even the neutral people probably bring peace a little bit. That's my guess. Either we escalate the situation by just bringing anxiety and tension and and noise and anger, or or we de-escalate. We bring peace. And and my mother is somebody who is always bringing peace, always bringing peace to the situation. Now I realize there's a great danger in in using that as an example of my mom never raising her voice. I'm just going to address that right now. <laughs> I see, I see shades of guilt falling across your faces. And if Nancy was here, she would be like smacking me and telling me to, to talk on this. So um, I want you to remember what my mother insisted that you know, which is that there's only one way any of these stories are true, and it's God working in her heart. And, um, and, I, and I hope it helped a little bit too that I began by saying that I, I raised my voice at my children. Um, if you raise your voice at your children, don't walk away feeling guilty. Walk away seeking the peace of Christ in your heart evermore and being reminded that um, it is God who, who heals. And if you have anything in your mind right now where you think, oh my gosh, I have failed my children, I've yelled at them even this morning, um, it is God who heals both your conviction about that but also your children's feelings. I, I'm just picturing my son's broken-hearted face when I raised my voice at him in my memory a few minutes ago. And maybe also you're thinking, but Nathan, it's way too late. Like, my mom set the tone early on and didn't raise her voice. But, but I, how could I, if I stopped raising my voice now at my children, they'd, they'd run me over. You know, they would, they would be, um, 
and, and maybe that's true, and, and maybe you're thinking about even the members of your family or the situations that you're in, and you're wondering, am I a person who escalates the tension or someone who brings peace? I find it interesting that it says, so far as it depends on you, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. It doesn't say you have any power or control over the situations that you're in. Your children might be screaming. Your, your, um, the, the social situations that you're in might be just totally nuts and, and there's all kinds of people who escalate. But it says as far as it depends on you, this is just a you thing. Okay, as far as it depends on me, and maybe you can just even think of an application for yourself. What, what is a room that I go into? Is, is there something I can do to de-escalate next time? So far as it depends on you. He knows that, that you can't um, uh, control the attitudes and voices and, and expectations of others. But as far as it depends on you. I want to just give a couple more remarks about all of this. Because as my mom said, I want them to know that it's only by God working in me that any of this is possible. I want you to know that if you walk away from here this morning with a little list in your mind of, of, of things you want to do better or things you want to um, um, change, then let me just put it really bluntly. If you walk away with a list, you're going to fail them. You're not going to be able to do them. You're not going to be able to walk out of here and say, okay, I'm going to associate a little bit more with the lowly. I'm going to invite the, you know, the person to my party who, who nobody else likes. I'm going to go try to do that. Um, I'm going to go try to have more, more zeal, and I'm going to try to serve the Lord more. I'll try to organize something like Nathan's mom did, or, or I'm going to try to not raise my voice as much. If you walk away with a to-do list, you will fail. Because Romans chapter 12 is not a prescription. It's not a prescription. It's not a list of things to do. It's a description. And it's not just a description of Nathan's mom. It's a description of Jesus Christ. Hear that. It's a description of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the man who appears upside down to our world, doesn't he? There's a verse that we didn't highlight this morning. I need my glasses. It's true, Valerie, I'm young, but I'm... It says this, and, it, and, I, and I saw some of you really hear this when I read it, it uh, really take this in. Verse 14, where it says, Bless those who persecute you. And then to reiterate the point, bless and do not curse them. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Just to, I'm trying to drive home the point of the impossibility of this as a prescription. Think of the last time you were wronged. Last time you were persecuted. Last time somebody had it out to get you. Someone at the club, someone on the PA board, your husband, your children, whomever. Somebody who just really wanted to stick it to you. What was your instinctual response? What did every cell in your body want to do? I thank you for saying that. Kill them, somebody said. (laughs) Revenge. Yes, revenge. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. And this word bless is interesting. It's not like some of of you maybe from the South. It's not like, oh, bless his heart, right? Like, that's not a blessing. (laughs) That's not a blessing. That's actually, you know, you know what it is. The word bless... I looked up the word bless here, and it's not just, oh, bless them. It's pursue in blessing. It's an active verb. Pursue in blessing. Those who persecute you, 
Pursue in blessing and do not curse them. Do not avenge them. And then it goes on at great length to talk about how vengeance is in the hand of God. It's not in our own hands. So I'm trying to drive home the point of the impossibility of this if left to our own devices. I think probably all of you a moment ago, when I had you imagine the person who had it out to get you, you felt a bit of vengeance in your own heart. You wanted to grab the metaphorical baseball bat and go knock out her headlights, the person who wronged you. But think for a moment about Jesus who lived without hurting or sinning against anybody, but who was nailed to the cross as punishment. What was he doing as he was being nailed there? One of the things he was doing is the soldiers and the religious leaders of the day had spat on him and had whipped him and had hung him to die. He was praying to the Father for those people. He wasn't praying, Father, Smite them. They are wrongly harming me. No. What did he say? Forgive them. Please, Father in heaven, King of the whole universe, use your power and your, and your sovereignty to bless them, to give them forgiveness, to pardon them. This is a description, Romans chapter 12, of who Jesus is. And if you walk away with a list of things to do, you will fail unless the list is simply more and more and more of Jesus in my heart. It's only Jesus indwelling us who can allow us to live any of these principles. I would say, going back to the hanging picture analogy, that Jesus needs to turn our world upside down. He needs to turn my life upside down. He needs to change my instinctual responses to the things that go on around me. Because my instinctual responses are vengeance, cursing, associating with those who are above me on the social scale. All the things that are opposite in Romans chapter 12. I need more and more of him to change that, to flip me upside down. How about you? Do you need... Of flipping upside down. The title of the talk was Living Up in a Down World. But really, it's living right side up in an upside down world. Just think about, I mean, I had you imagine a few minutes ago, I had you imagine the middle school hierarchy of one to a hundred. Are your social circles anything like that? And if so, could you meditate upon Jesus and his actions and his upside down living? And have him indwell your hearts. And if, and if that was happening, how would you love? And how would you bless? And how would you respond differently? And I want to just bring out one more thing that's in here, just in case there's any confusion about it. And then I'll pray for you, and then we'll be done. Or I can take questions, I suppose. But this, this part where it ends in the verse where it says, um, um, If your enemy is hungry, feed her. If she's thirsty, give her something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on her head. I did a little study on that before speaking with you today. Because it sounds, doesn't it, like you're still getting vengeance? Like, oh yes, I'll bless her. And that will keep her. I I get to remain pure and holy, but she gets what she deserves. Um, So just, that's not what this means. Okay? Sorry to disappoint. That's not what this means. So this is a, a, a biblical a, a euphemism for conviction. 
to heat burning coals. In the ancient world, burning coals are actually a purifying thing. You think about like a, a doctor's needle that needs to be purified. They would place it in a burning coal. They would purify it. Okay? So this is a sanctifying thing. What this is saying is, if you, re- if you respond to evil with blessing and with feeding your enemy and, and supplying and, and asking for their forgiveness or just to pursuing and blessing what this is talking about. What that will do is not bring vengeance to them, but it will bring conviction to them. They'll feel convicted. That's what this means. Heat burning coals on her head. They'll feel that they, will, they will suddenly see um, or, 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 or can see the nature of the way that they've sinned against you. In a way that simply avenging them will not. That what are they going to do if you, if, you're, if you bring vengeance? They're going to be defensive. They're going to say, no, well, you did it to me first, or whatever. Okay? So heaping burning coals on the head is just bringing conviction, and that's what the Holy Spirit will do for you. You don't have to then point it out. Okay? I hope you feel those coals burning on your head for what you did to me. So I wanted to point that out. Now, now I'm going to pray for you, and then um, we can have any group discussion. I think we have some minutes left if anybody wants to bring anything up, things that you've been thinking about or questions that you have um, to offer. So let's pray. God, I thank you that your word speaks to us. And even though it seems inverse or upside down or opposite of of the way most of us behave or or our peers behave, we do find it compelling and beautiful the way you are. And Jesus, the way that you responded to your enemies' attacks is, is so beautiful. And we want to be a little bit more like you. And so we ask that you would just come and indwell us a little bit more today. That we'd have more of you and less of ourselves. If it was up to us, Lord, we would continue behaving in this way that the world behaves. So we need you. We need you. And I ask that you would fill us up with your presence. I pray for these women that they would, um, that you would just... Allow them to be vulnerable with one another, to be real, to be able to bless one another, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to weep with those who weep, to be authentic friends with one another, safe places. This is only possible if you are at the center of these relationships. So I pray that you would, that you would bring your presence into all relationships represented in this room. And I pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Questions? What insights did you have while we were studying this passage or hearing about my mom, Micah? Yep. Well, what would you say? What, what, how would you resolve that?
Yeah. And, and the impossible almost seems like a potential for cop-out. Yeah. Anyone else have an answer for Michael's question? I have one in mind, but I want to hear from, hear from you if you have a good insight. One commentary I read on this this week said um, Paul, who wrote Romans, is, is um, there's, as, um, as compelling as Romans chapter 12 is, there's all kinds of realism in it as well. That there's realistic expectations and and that's one example the if possible clause he's totally recognizing the reality that we all live in and entering in saying if it's possible and i and i don't think he's i don't think the subtext there is since it's not possible i think it's look for the tiny possibilities recognizing that that this is a nearly impossible task look for the tiny possibilities where you can bring peace uh, and one of the other ones that I love is in uh, verse 10 where it says, outdo one another in showing honor. It's very uh, realistic for him to use that language because if you think about outdoing one another, we're constantly trying to outdo one another in every way. And Paul knows that. And he says, you know, I know that you're going to be constantly trying to outdo one another. Here's, here's a fun one. Try to outdo one another in showing honor. You know, you're so competitive. Try to outdo one another in showing. It's like he's just realistic with us. You know. Um, anyone else have an insight to that? To the, the if possible clause. You know what else I'm thinking about? Hold that thought here. Thank you. What immediately came to mind as you were speaking was the, uh, the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus. Some of you know this story. And he asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Remember this? And Jesus uh, interacts with him and talks about the camel going through the eye of the needle. And, and Jesus concludes his remarks by saying, with man, what? This is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So I'm just sort of hearing that as we talk about this. With, with us alone, left to our own devices, impossible. But with God, with the Holy Spirit's invocation, it is possible. Even though it might even seem totally impossible right now, the scenario you have in your head. It's impossible to bring peace to that situation. With God, all things are possible. There you go, Kara. The Holy Spirit must have been speaking. There you go. Don't you love that when a group discussion leads to God's truth? Sally? Oh. You were going like this. What other, um, what other thoughts or questions, insights you're having, challenges? Yes.
Okay. Yeah. So there was a, a noise right in your beginning of your remarks. Is, is somebody in your life or was it? Okay, one of your children. And you're, and you're saying that the zealousness, that actually might need to be toned down? Well, trying very, very, very hard. And I think maybe because the trying so hard needs to allow this, need not to slowness, but right. sort of Does anyone have a, an insight to share based on what we've heard? I would say that the instruction to be zealous and to serve the Lord comes with um, an assumption before it that, that the heart is already experiencing the peace of, of Christ. That I, I'm not sure this is asking for just zealousness for the sake of zealousness, but that it's... Um, a person, I, I'm picturing my mother, who, I mean, no, nobody works harder than her. You know, it's not like she, um, it's not like she's just hanging out. I mean, every, she, she wakes up and she thinks, who can I serve today? Who can I help today? That the, the, her zealousness is, is the servant heart that she has. It's not just activity. It's not busyness. It's not um, zealousness to go conquer some, something. It's it's a it's a it's a zealousness to lift others up. That that's where her energy is flowing. It's 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 into lifting up the world around her. I don't know if that helps at all. Does that get to where you're asking? Okay. Right. Yeah, well, the whole thing is couched, and even in the first few verses that I didn't read, one is, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind in Christ Jesus. So there's an assumption here that, that the picture's already been flipped upside down a little bit, and then all these instructions come, all these descriptions come. Um, uh, it's an interesting use of the word zealous, because in Jesus' time, there were, there were people groups, there were religious groups around the Galilee region and, and even into Jerusalem, there were the, the Essenes, which were like the monks. There were the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which were very you know, legalistic and, and law-observing. And there were the Zealots. And the Zealots were literally the ones you know, armed with, with swords and, 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 um, and other weaponry saying, um, we're on God's side. We need to be violently uprising against our oppressors. So there is a, 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 a sort of a sensational nature to this word of, of zealousness. And he says, don't be slothful in zeal. But I think what this is saying is not whip out your swords, but whip out your, your energies and your passions and your endeavors and your pursuits for service, not for, for conquering the enemy, but, but to serve the world as Christ did. I, I, I'm not in the room with your son right now, so I can't get to the, the heart of what maybe the, the um, situation is there, but I don't know if that helps at all. Okay. Anyone else? How are we on time? We good?
Yeah. So very much.